You are listening to the Simple Living Made Simple podcast. My name is Stephanie and I'm a wife, mother of four, and the creator of the blog Simple Living Made Simple, formerly winging it on the homestead. I am far from an expert, but I am learning and growing and figuring the simple living self-sufficiency thing out as I go. I love to help encourage modern mothers to incorporate simple living and self-sufficiency skills and knowledge into their busy lives. Join me this season as I interview homesteading experts on a variety of timely and important topics and share with you my appreciation for creating a homemade and homegrown life through gardening, food preservation, cooking from scratch, making your own products, all while keeping it all practical, intentional, and realistic. Hey guys, welcome back to the Simple Living Made Simple podcast. I am so blessed and excited for today's guest. For this episode, I spoke with Sarah Jo of Briarton Farm. I have been following her on Instagram for a few years and I just adore everything she shares. Sarah Jo is a wife and a mother of four beautiful girls, two biological and two adoptive. Um, They are precious and beautiful and I love following them um, and seeing their life. It's just like out of a storybook and um, she, she shares their challenges and their successes and I just adore following her. She is a historic home restorator and an amazing children's book illustrator. In today's episode, we covered several topics, but the theme throughout was saving the forgotten. Sarah Jo is amazing at this and I'm so thrilled to discuss all of these things with her. Oh, and also went during the recording, I had my five month old with me. So you may hear her throughout. That's who's making weird noises if you happen to hear them. So anyways, I hope you enjoy this episode and let's jump on in. Thank you so much for joining me, Sarah Jo. Could you tell me a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, My name is Sarah Jo and my husband and I, uh, Michael, we've been married for almost 14 years now. And we have four little girls. I call them my four little women. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And we live in a historic farm house built in 1893. And we've just been sharing our life and our story on social media now for about seven years. And I guess that's how you found me. How long have you been along for this journey, I guess. <laughs> I'd I guess. say um, on the Instagram, uh, probably two years now at this point, okay. Um, okay. maybe a little longer um, that I've been following you on Instagram. Okay. And I just we've love restoring yeah. this house for like nine years now. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then of course, no, just no, in, in following you, I, um, I look back at all the other things you've done. You, you've done so much stuff to that beautiful farmhouse over the years. When I look back myself, I am kind of taken back. Uh, mm-hmm. You kind of easily forget what you went through. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like childbirth in a way. You know, <laughs> you, there's so much pain and then, um, and hard, hard stuff. And then you just, once you are really in it, you kind mm-hmm. of forget that and you are yeah. able to move forward and just be present in that more joyful time. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> My kitchen took four years. I had no kitchen for four years. So wow. when people hear that, they think, 
either we are terrible at what we do or we don't know what we're doing. Yeah. And really what it was is we were committed to doing everything ourselves, and mm-hmm. we're on such a tight budget and also, you know, one income that we just had to do it a little bit at a time. Yeah. And I think that's also attractive to people when they learn, okay, it's not supposed to look like HGTV. Right. Yeah, definitely. I'd love how, um, it, I mean, looking at your pictures, obviously I haven't been there in person or anything, but it's just, it, you feel like you're, you're looking at something that's back in time. So it's kind of like this dreamy, Good. you know, visual, and then you combine it with like this real realistic on how it actually, you got to that point. So I, I just really love the authenticity of it. Everything awesome. you share. I'm glad that you oh. care about that. Cause I think yeah. some people, or at least when we first started, they called me my style grandma and <laughs> kind of like, why are you making it look old? You know? Right. Right. Um, and I think that was right around, you know, 2014 is when we, when we got the mm-hmm. farm and that was right around the time when ripping out all the walls was really big and mm, like open layouts and all that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that. And really modernizing older homes mm-hmm. was very big and we are doing the opposite <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, it's been, it's been interesting um, to try to speak to people and try to um, convince them that, you know, um, trends come and go, but staying Mm -hmm. true to the soul of your house is classic. Right. Um, And that's, that's the kind of stuff you want to put your time and money in is Mm -hmm. things that you won't have to rip out five years down the road or whatever. Um, well, can you take me back kind of to the beginning when you bought the, the farm? Was it in the family or how did you come up? Did you spend a lot of time searching for it or? <laughs> um, I, okay. So might have to go a little bit further back. Yeah. I grew up, um, like from birth to 12 years old in a historic home. Mm-hmm. It was a 1911 home in Omaha, Nebraska. And we kind of lived in like this rundown, (laughs) (laughs) but beautiful old neighborhood. And, um, I never could, cause I was little, I could never put my finger on what was so magical about this house. I know now what it was, but back then I just had all the original floors, all the original doors. There was like skeleton keys to the doors Mm -hmm. and there was something, everything was very, um, small, like smaller than houses are built today. So the stairs were very steep and tiny and, um, they turned and there was something almost like Narnia like about it. There were Mm -hmm. little nooks and crannies and very different from the way houses are built today and the quality and the wood, the creaking stairs, the creaking doors. There was something so magical about this house. But because I was a little child and no one was really talking to me about it, I didn't understand Mm -hmm. what it was exactly that I fell in love with. Um, And then as I grew up and we lived in other homes, um, my parents then bought a farm and I spent the rest of my childhood on a hobby farm. And Mm -hmm. that was the magic. Now we no longer had an old cool house, but we had this cool, Mm -hmm. um, outdoor experience and I was homeschooled on a farm. And so those two things put together is kind of what I wanted my children to have. Um, I wanted the magic of the historic home and all the history that comes with it. 
um, and and just the level of craftsmanship that only can come with an authentic old house. Yeah. And then I wanted that farm experience, uh, animals, teaching them responsibility, fresh air, room to run and play, mm-hmm. you know, no, um, no neighbors, no pollution, mm-hmm. no traffic, stuff like that. Yeah. And you really can marry those together when you buy an old farm. Yeah. So right out of college, we, you know, we're newlyweds. We had like spaghetti for every meal. We were really <laughs> poor. <laughs> yeah. And um, so we lived in a little like run down apartment. And um, one day we were taking our dog for a walk and we saw this beautiful historic home. And it was for $74,000. Um, and that was because of the 2008 market crash thing that happened, um, which was horrible for a lot of people, but for young newlyweds, it was the dream. So mm-hmm. we bought this huge Victorian house in down in a downtown area in Georgia, where my husband's from Georgia. Mm-hmm. And we just spent the next three years dipping our toes into restoration. This house just needed like paint um, and very little paint and decorating. It was Mm -hmm. stunning old Victorian. Um, and that's where I really understood, okay, this is what I fell in love with as a child. This is what it is. It's, Mm -hmm. it's being able to walk in the very footsteps of those who, you know, built the country a long, Mm -hmm. long time ago. And, and, and seeing like the footprints literally, gouged in the floor in front of the sink, you know, where the mom would have stood and washed the dishes and Mm -hmm. just soaking that in and falling in love with that and understanding what it was. Yeah. So then, um, we had a lot of weird experiences in the city that I wasn't familiar with because I, most of my childhood was in the country. We had, um, drug addict run-ins and, um, people stealing stuff out of our yard. And then one day, right where my little girl was playing. I had Camden at this point, my firstborn. Um, somebody hit a girl that was riding on a motorcycle and her body flew and landed in our front yard. Wow! <laughs> she was yeah. like screaming in pain in our front yard. And I realized, okay, mm-hmm. that is where my daughter was playing. We, we can't do this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it's this scary. house, but we mm-hmm. can't do this. So I spent about a year on Zillow looking at old farms and I wanted, I put in, um, 1700s to 1945, 1945 was my cutoff mm-hmm. because after world war II, they really started mass producing houses yeah. and the quality of craftsmanship went way down. Yeah. Um, and I found a lot of old farmhouses. I really did. Yeah. It wasn't that hard back then. Um, and so as soon as our household for double what we paid for it, wow. we had the cash to then buy a rundown forgotten farm. Mm-hmm. This whole farm was a hundred thousand dollars. And I also want to stress to people that you have to realize that old farmhouses usually only have one bathroom. Mm-hmm. And then if you want to get something authentic, it's going to be tiny. So this house technically a th- uh, 1400 square feet Mm-hmm. Our bedroom is gutted. So it's right now we've been living most of our time here in a thousand square feet. Wow. 
Um, and most people are like, oh, I could never do that. That's too small. And mm-hmm. you know, there's no closets in old farmhouses. No. And, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they act like it's just impossible. But the original family who built this house had six kids and lived in a nine and a half foot foot by 21 foot claim shanty for 15 years. Wow. So I always, whenever I'm feeling frustrated with the lack of storage or, or whatever mm-hmm. it is, I, I just remind myself of what, what true grit is. Yeah. And if she can do that, so can I, mm-hmm. um, you know, you read the little house on the prairie books or, or, um, the lantern in her hand or things like mm-hmm. that. And you, and you realize we, we have lost, <laughs> we have lost a toughness and um an appreciation what for, for what truly matters and so I, I love that this house helps me focus mm-hmm. on what truly matters yeah and absolutely. Uh, it's pretty cool yeah it well the house is is beautiful and I, I have so many questions but um for one uh did, did you when you were looking for a farmhouse were you kind of like open to, to location or were you like this tri-state area or something or were you yeah (laughs) so that's another thing that people um are struggling with when they're like well I can't find anything like what you're talking about old farmhouses are not going to be next to a Starbucks and a Target okay you have to really prioritize what really matters to you Mm -hmm. and so we did something that nobody does we we wanted to buy the house first and then michael look for a job around the house Mm. because in our opinion a career is not the number one focus a fancy career uh it's your home and your family that's what matters to us right so we put home and family first and job that doesn't define you that is just how you pay your bills. Mm-hmm. Um, so like we have degrees, my husband has a degree, but he chose not to really use it. And he's just, he works in a warehouse loading trucks mm-hmm. and it's great because he's home more. Mm-hmm. Um, and he doesn't bring his home, his work home with him. Right. You know, it's just a do the job work out for a living basically. Yeah. <laughs> and then it pays our bills. And that's what's kind of available rural wise. Um, mm-hmm. Our jobs like that, um, farm work, um, loading trucks, you know, more labor, manual labor type jobs. There's not like lawyer jobs or a lot of fancier, higher paying jobs out here. But it, you're, it, it's again, it's a lifestyle that you're looking for. Yeah. So we found the, the house first and all I did was I drew a three hour radius around my parents' house. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And I was like, mm-hmm. I would like to live within a three hour radius of my parents. And now yeah. they live in Oklahoma. And so we dipped into Oklahoma and Kansas and there, Kansas is an older state than Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. So more historic homes are here. So that's why we kind of ended up here. And um, then Michael found a job. Wow. Well, that's, you know, that's obviously you were able to figure out what your priorities were and really put them in place. A lot of people don't do that. You it's know? different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's awesome though. That's, that's probably scary for a lot of people, but it yeah. shows, you know, a real, um, focus on like you're on faith too, of like that mm-hmm. everything's going to work out. It's and, true. 
it was yeah. a test of faith. And a, a yeah. lot of people told us that we were being unwise. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a Dave Ramsey quote that I really love. And he, he says, you got to live like no one else so that someday you can live and give like no one else. Yeah. And we really, we really follow that and believe that. Yeah. So oh, that's beautiful. Um, so, uh, do you have a strategy for tackling the historic home? Like when you bought this and you moved in, was there anything move in ready or did you have to no. everything? <laughs> no, right. no. So what was uh, kind of your priority for tackling the project? Okay. That's a good question. So this house, uh, was built in 1893, the majority of it. Mm-hmm. And then there's the claim shanty portion that was bl- built sometime between 1872 and 1878, somewhere in there. Um, and that's what makes up our 1400 square feet. Mm-hmm. Um, when we bought it, the house had not been lived in for over a year and, um, it had never really been not, not much had ever really been done to it. And that's actually mm-hmm. what you want because yeah. the more updating quote unquote mm-hmm. that you have, the more, I mean, that we call it remuddling is what people are doing. <laughs> right, <laughs> they're, right. Um, they're doing what's in at the moment. They're usually doing slap quick fixes and that those cause mm-hmm. huge issues. So we looked for a house that had, that was forgotten. We wanted a f- forgotten house mm-hmm. to redeem essentially. Mm-hmm. And um, so uh, we started, once we got here, the first thing we did was rip out all the carpet. That's really easy, really fast, mm-hmm. gives you immediate gratification, Yeah, <laughs> helps boost your, you know, what you need to help carry you through the long years of he- mm-hmm. ahead. Um, so the whole house had indoor, outdoor blue carpet throughout, <laughs> um, yeah. except on the stairs was orangish, yellowish shag carpet. Wow. And so we just spent a couple of days ripping all of that out and the hardwood floors were underneath. And a lot of people said, okay, now, <clears throat> sorry. A lot mm-hmm. of people said, okay, now you got to sand those floors. That's mm-hmm. what you do. When you uncover hardwood floors, you immediately mm-hmm. sand them. Right. In my gut, I felt like that was not the right decision. They looked terrible. They were, they had been under, and there was so much dirt yeah. underneath the carpet that I guess had filtered through. Um, but instead of immediately sanding them, uh, we just vacuumed and I got on my hands and knees and <laughs> just used what I had, which was baby wipes. And I just wiped the floor. Um, and then we've never done anything to them. Wow. Um, and that saved us a ton of money. Yeah. But what we learned is that we were able to save the character in the floors. Yeah. People are so afraid of scratches. Oh, the floors are scratched. Oh, the floors have damage. But if you think of that, not as damage, but as story, and you mm-hmm. can see like where the little footprints, where a little boy maybe played with his toy soldiers and gouged mm-hmm. the floor, or, you know, like I said earlier, where the mom had stood and washed the dishes every day, yeah. those become things you want to protect. And true. so I just clean them as best I can. Mm-hmm. And I just leave it. And I think that's kind of carried on the philosophy throughout our restoration mm-hmm. is if you can just leave it. Don't yeah, touch okay. it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's good. Yeah. I think everything people would try to 
repaint or restain or, or whatever, but you're right. There's little imperfections or where is, you know, what is part of the house. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, so when you do have to, let's say buy new furniture or update something specific, maybe furniture or I don't know, appliances or something, how do you try to find something that is either modern, but looks Oh, like, where do you draw that line? Or how do you make that decision on whether you try to find something that's actually old and antique, or if you go modern, that looks antique? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, so with dressing a house and, yeah. and like make homemaking and, and decorating, my philosophy is you just kind of put on the, so we've tried to learn, <laughs> we've tried to learn as much as we can about the original family. And then the second family to live here for over 40 years. Those two families are my influences. Okay. So it it gives me a time period. It gives me references. And then I try to say, uh, so Emma was the first mama. She lived here from 1878 until her death in 1946. Mm-hmm. And so what would Emma do is my little, <laughs> my little bracelet, you know? Yeah. Um, and if it would not have been some, it doesn't belong, you know, you, you play these games with your kids. Um, what doesn't belong? Have you ever used like a, a, yeah. a little activity book uh-huh. and you tell the kid, okay, what doesn't belong? And they have to circle the things that don't belong. Yeah. I kind of play that in my mind. And what, what we run into problems with is like, when we get to appliances, um, that's been the biggest thing mm-hmm. where I've had to, you know, it bothers me, uh, mm-hmm. but I have to remember that, um, there are some things that would keep my family more comfortable that just weren't available at that time. Right. So yeah. I always try to look for things that are as old looking as possible. So my kitchen is more of a 1930s and 40s inspired uh, Mm -hmm. look. And that would have stayed true to the second mama, Gladys. She, they bought the farm in 1949 and they lived here until um, the mid to late 1980s. And so her, my kitchen, I kind of, uh, use her as an inspiration. Mm -hmm. So my stove is 1941. And then, um, my fridge I actually got at, it's a GE from Home Depot and it is like a vintage looking stove, Mm -hmm. but you can get old appliances and use them. They were higher quality. They're Mm -hmm. doing great. Uh, we got a lot, pretty much everything I own is secondhand. Um, so it's either thrift stores, flea markets. Uh, I do a lot of Facebook marketplace and eBay, things like that. Are Are you constantly looking for things? Like you always have, do you always have kind of have like a running list of, I was for a really long time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've been here nine years. So I'm getting more to the point where I don't really need that much. Yeah. But yeah, I'm kind of always looking. It's more of a hobby to look. Mm -hmm. It's like a hunt. Yeah. Um, but it, if I do that, I have to constantly be editing because again, we live in a yeah. thousand square feet and we have no attic, no basement, and just like two closets, tiny closets. Mm-hmm. Right. So 
I'm constantly having to say, okay, what doesn't belong? Again, playing that game mm-hmm. and switching things out. But I really enjoy hunting for things that are period appropriate. And, and I'm just, as a children's book illustrator and an artist, I've just got this, um, I be, I think my my whole view, my lens is mm-hmm. kind of storybook. And so I want my house to feel like I'm stepping into Anne of Green Gables, you know? Yeah. That's kind of my goal. <laughs> oh, well, that's a beautiful that goal. And definitely get that that vibe and that feel just even through pictures. So I'm sure the real <laughs> thing is even more amazing. Um, Are there re- resources or anything you use to like kind of be like, okay, this is the kind of chairs, they, the style of chairs or dining room table or something that they had in certain time periods? Or like, how do you know this? <laughs> how do you know this? Okay, kind of stuff? that's such a good question. And I actually get asked that a lot because yeah. there is a huge confusion. Um, there's this heavy dependence we have nowadays for decorating um, on on Pinterest Mm-hmm. Um, online resources mainly, and we're just yeah. looking at what other people are doing, and right. we're assuming that they're doing it right. And there's not really a right or wrong, you yeah. know. Um, we shouldn't put our pressure on ourselves um, too much. But if you're if your desire is mm-hmm. to make everything again true to the soul of your house, and yeah. you want it to just feel good. You, when you're doing something that belongs and it fits the house, Mm -hmm. there's something, there's like this, yes, that's it (laughs) kind of feeling. Yeah. And I've learned it's, it's taken a long time. I'm, I'm just, it's a learning process. You're Mm -hmm. educating yourself constantly to, and training your eye to recognize what belongs And that comes from constantly being in a state of wanting to learn Mm -hmm. um, and enjoying the process of learning about a certain time period in history. So my favorite sources are going to um, museums Mm -hmm. (laughs) and kind of seeing how they would have decorated their room, how they would have lived, learning about how they would have lived. So reading my girls and I, we, I read aloud every day, three to five chapters to my girls read mm-hmm. aloud every single day. And it, our favorite genre is the Victorian era. Yeah. And so we're always looking for books about that. And when you learn about their lifestyle, then you mm-hmm. can see, okay, well, this is the tools they had. This is what they used their rooms for, how they use their rooms. Yeah. I also would say period films. Um, are a great resource because here you have somebody whose entire job is set design for a certain period Mm -hmm. and they have done the work for you. They have a PhD probably (laughs) in this exact thing and they've done all the research for you. So if you can find multiple period films that are well done, Mm -hmm. um, then you can study those films, like pause, look, screenshot like really dive into period films as opposed to Pinterest because that's going to be your more accurate resources so I love the 1985 Anne of Green Gables films with Mm -hmm. uh, Megan Follows Mm -hmm. I mean 
that is my decorating <laughs> book, you know, like yeah. that's where I'm getting my resources, right. not Pinterest, not yeah. um, other people's Instagrams. I try to do that. Now, of course, it's okay to follow trends as long as they're not permanent. So that's paint, true. paint colors, fabrics, those are great places to kind of um, inject your own personal style and make mm-hmm. it feel more like you. Um, so that I, I try to advise people, you know, don't tear down a wall to fit you, yeah. but maybe paint a room, your favorite color or get your favorite fabric and make pillows out of that. Mm-hmm. And that's a great way to not ruin a house, <laughs> Yeah, but at the same time, make it fit you and feel right for you. Mm-hmm. That's so, that's really great tips. And I, I, I have that struggle with our house too, because I'm not even sure we have like a craftsman four square house. There's old elements to it, but I don't know that it's so old, you know, maybe like I can see the window behind you. And I immediately saw that. And I was like, that's on every, she's got a historic home. Yeah. A little bit. It's got a real nice, um, built in like thing in the kitchen. That's, you know, old and yeah, it's, but I don't know. It's not like, Old, old, you know, I'm not really even sure. I would but say I it's pretty old because that looks it's 19, a four square. So yeah, you know? I would say um 1920s, maybe 1930s. Okay. Yeah, it definitely it has a stone foundation, and okay. I, we think it was an old barn. Let's get on a different topic, but we think it was an old barn foundation, and then they built a house on top. It could be wrong. Whoa, that is so cool. Yeah, it's been a couple businesses before we bought it and turned it back into a home. So, um. Yeah, I'm kind of have you do you have your abstract of title? Um, I'm sure I do somewhere. Yeah, that uh, we read it like it's a novel. It it, uh, it tells the whole story of, um, you know, this land Mm -hmm. was deeded by Ulysses S. Grant to a soldier (laughs) in payment of service in 1872. And then all the people who owned it and the family who bought it and when they died and when they were born and how like how would you go about getting something like that if I you know okay so abstract of title i'm writing this down (laughs) it's a very important document you can find out so so much that will give you the full names of everyone who lived in your home as well and their birth dates and everything and their death dates Hmm. um i don't know if you have to have paid for your house in full to get that okay again we paid cash for this farm but I would say that you can go to your local records office and yeah. find out some of those things. If you can't get the abstract of title, you can find out who built your home and what year. Yeah. Okay. And then you could use other websites um, like ancestry.com to kind of find out more about that original family. Yeah. And that would give you a jumping off point <laughs> for restoration and decorating. Yeah, that'd be awesome because that is one of is my goals. And I know that it was some confusion because when we first bought it, we had a cesspool instead of a septic, you know? Yes. Um, it literally was a hole in the ground. Um, yes, so, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to have a septic put in. So when we were pulling all of that kind of stuff, it was the original home date was a little... Um, vague or not completely yeah. known. So, um, yeah, but I would now that I, now that I 
you know, have a little bit more time, I'd like to look more into that because yeah, that's and it's a really do. great um, opportunity for your kids to get mm. really into. Yeah, like it can become a history lesson. Yeah, and you can research the time and like what clothes they would have worn and how would they would how will would they have lived in mm-hmm. winter? How did they prepare for the winter? <laughs> you know, things like that. Yeah, You've gotten really simple. into it. So I have another quick question on this topic and then we can, you know, talk about some other things, but, um, how, how do you, um, so like your plumbing and electric, right. Those are some Mm. things that like, let's say you have to kind of figure out whether or not how updated you're going to go with that. Right. So when Mm. we did move into this house, everything was cloth wired, um, electric wise. Yes. You know what I mean? So we redid all of that just my dad's an electrician. So it was the thing that we needed to do. (laughs) Yes. Um, so, and luckily my husband is a Mason by trade. So he is handy. (laughs) (laughs) With all that aside, we had a lot of that kind of stuff that had to be done. So how do you, where do you draw the line with that? As far as making updates that need to be done versus like, you're not, did you keep all the cloth wire or did you still have some? You still have some. I think so we we're do doing still actually, but yeah, yeah. Well, um, everybody freaks out about that yeah. stuff. Everybody freaks out about electric. <laughs> and yeah. it's because you hear about houses burning down mm-hmm. and you hear about, you know, accidents. And uh yeah. the other thing everybody freaks out about is lead paint. Oh my goodness, yes. you're gonna die. You bought an old house. <laughs> um, and so I would say, first of all, let's just remember that we would not be alive today if the entire generation of lead paint and cloth wire people had died out. Okay. So it's okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We're going to be okay. Um, (laughs) We chose to encapsulate by painting Mm -hmm. um, anything that we thought might be lead paint Mm -hmm. and we haven't had any issues with it. And we also yeah. just don't make, we make sure our kids aren't chewing on the wall. You know, lead paint <laughs> is only dangerous if it is breathed in or ingested. Yeah. And so just being in the room is fine. And all houses that were built before 1970 really mm-hmm. have lead paint and all objects from that period. So it's everywhere and you can't really avoid yeah. it. You can think you are, but you can't. Mm-hmm. Electrical. Um, we've just done one room at a time as yeah. we could afford it. And at first we would hire people. And then we learned that nobody loves your house as much as you do. Yeah. And a lot of um, contractors, you know, the way they make more money is by cutting corners. And so we had um, the f- first two years that we were here, we hired people to do things mm-hmm. and like every every there was no plugs really in their house there was like three plugs in the whole house Mm. um, outlets and so we wanted more of those (laughs) and yeah every single one they put on crooked every single one they also put their foot through the ceiling and didn't Mm -hmm. tell us you know just we decided okay 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 we're gonna do this ourselves it's gonna save money and then we're gonna know it's done right yeah so we just got on youtube and took electrical classes and Mm -hmm. that might scare people and maybe um it's not for everybody but um I would say don't rush into anything take your time do your research and you can do it yourself 
especially if you, you know, do this for a living or, you know, Mm -hmm. somebody in your family who can help you, but Mm -hmm. always choose somebody you trust. And, um, yeah. And and just understand that it's going to take time and you're not going to die in the meantime, just take it a little bite at a time. We still have, I would say the dining room is still cloth wire and Mm -hmm. our, our bedroom that we don't have yet (laughs) Yeah, is still all cloth wire. Um, maybe a couple other places, but yeah, well, it's, it certainly is a, um, work, you know, you're always, always going to be working on it at some point. Right. You know? I mean, it's never going to be fully and, and getting out of bed in the morning is dangerous. Getting in a car is dangerous. <laughs> you know, if you live, um, in fear all the time, um, mm-hmm. then you're never going to live a very, uh, effective life, you know? So, mm-hmm. I, I just, I try not to let the fear mongering get to me and realize that this house has been standing for a really long time and hopefully it will continue standing. We're just going to do the best we can a little bit at a time. That's such good advice. I have loved everything that you post. It's just so beautiful. I mean, and it's authentic looking, it's creative, you know, I mean, it's not just your normal, like old, like I don't know what, what do they call it? They call it like just making things look vintage or things like that. It looks authentically done and it's just all beautiful. So that's what really brought me to your Instagram account and your blog. Um, but has, but what has kept me like really following you is your captivating family adoption story. Um, it's, it's just beautiful. So could you tell me about how just tell me about that and, and tell the audience how, um, just all about your adoption story. That's really cool that you, that you say that. Thank you for your encouragement. Cause yeah. you know, it's, it can be very discouraging to share really anything online. People, yeah. um, for some reason, uh, take it as a license. Oh, you're sharing. So you must want my, <laughs> you must want on, my yeah. on, on what you're doing. And let me tell you, you're terrible <laughs> and wrong. Um, which I don't understand, like just unfollow me, you know, I think I've always had a heart for the forgotten, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, that's kind of how these two topics are related, you know, forgotten homes, forgotten people, forgotten stories. I've had mm-hmm. this, this kind of old soul and, mm-hmm. and this, um, strong sense of justice since I was very, very little. And, um, I don't know if it's because I'm the oldest of five. So I've always been kind of mm-hmm. like a mother hen, but I was born with a cleft lip and the experiences that gave me, I've had nine surgeries. A lot of those were dental, but many of them were to correct my lip and like prop up my nose and fill in Mm -hmm. holes in my mouth. And um, so a lot of my early life, I did not look like this. Mm -hmm. I had a very different face and people treated me, um, not my family, but people that that didn't love me treated me very terribly and called me names and things like that. And that's one, Mm -hmm. one reason that my parents chose to homeschool me after fourth grade just take me out of that. The teachers, the teachers were bullying me (laughs) Um, more, even more so than the kids at some points. So uh, then I was able to be myself and I could 
really dive into my passions, which are art and history and things like that. And it really gave me this uh, change that was the way, the reason that I am the person I am today. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful for that. And not every kid has that. Not every mm -hmm. kid has the opportunity to be loved for who they are and how God made them and value, told that they're valuable and um, taken out of bad situations and put in the light, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I was just surrounded by animals and fresh air. And I had clean drinking water and proper nutrition and medical care and education and a family who mm -hmm. loved me and protection. And there are kids all over the world who have none of that. And so <clears throat> I think my first introduction to that knowledge was at seven years old. I remember I was sitting on the floor holding my mom's best friend's little boy. He was, he looked a lot like your daughter, just squishy mm -hmm. and beautiful. And he was probably about 18 months old, I would say. Mm -hmm. And he was on my lap and I was just holding him and just soaking it up. I just love babies mm -hmm. and listening to his mom and my mom talk about adoption. And she was, he was adopted from an Asian country and she was telling what an orphanage is like. And I had never heard, I knew there were, I think I knew that there were some kids who didn't have a mommy and a daddy, mm -hmm. but I didn't really understand more than that. Um, and I got to hear, you know, like an orphanage is where it's like a building and there's rooms full of children and there's rooms with cribs and there's like rows and rows of beds and multiple kids per bed and they don't have food and they don't have clothes that fit them. And, you know, I was just like, what, you know, mm -hmm. and I felt, I know now what it was, it was the Holy spirit, but I felt this voice say to me, will you go? It was very simple. Will you go? And I was like, yes, <laughs> that's what I will do when I grow up. Yeah. And um, I didn't, you know, the childlike faith that we have uh, in the beginning of our lives, I didn't think, well, how, how will I pay for it? Or how will I do yeah. it? Or what if it's hard? You know, none of those fears that we have mm -hmm. as adults came into my mind. I was just like, yes. And so, um, we grew up with this family. That family ended up adopting five kids. There were other families that adopted that came into my life. And I always saw it as something that was important, that giving a child a family was so important and the need was so great. And so when I was dating my husband and I just kind of brought it up very early on in our dating, because we, we dated to, with the purpose of marriage, we, we were looking for who we were going to marry. And so we were already talking like serious stuff. And I'm like, well, I come with this, I'm supposed to adopt. And he was like, oh, cool. Um, mm -hmm. he, he thought of it as a good thing, mm -hmm. but unlike me, he had no exposure to it. And he was just not educated as to what's going on. He just was like, oh, that's a good thing. So he wasn't opposed to it, but he also mm -hmm. didn't feel any sense of uh, urgency to do anything about the orphan crisis. And mm -hmm. um, so after we got married, um, 
I was dealing with, you know, as a very young mom, I got married at 25, I think maybe I was 24. Mm -hmm. Um, and the first thing I was thinking about, cause I love children was having children. And my first fear, to be honest, was what if I have a child that looks like me and has a cleft lip? Cause it's genetic in my family I have grand, great grandparents and an uncle, um, who have a cleft. So it's very probable that either I or my children would have that. Um, and I was just like, well, I can't, I can't do that. I can't bring the child into this world who would suffer, quote unquote, as I did and, mm-hmm. and be treated the way I did. And it was so sad that I had that mindset. And I would, I talked to my mom about it and she was like, Sarah, it doesn't matter if your kid looks perfect. They will get bullied at some point in their mm-hmm. life. Um, that's just part of being in this world. Uh, people are unkind and people are struggling with things and they, and they take it out on others, you know, and that really helped me. It was like, Oh, you're right. That's true. Mm -hmm. Um, but what we did first is we looked into adoption because we're like, okay, well, um, there are so many kids who need a family. And if I don't really feel comfortable having a child, let's, let's adopt. Right. And Mm -hmm. that was just our very sad beginning, the thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. And that's when we learned the cost. I had no idea how expensive adoption was. It's astronomical. Whether you wow. adopt from a birth mom here in the US or you adopt internationally, it is astronomical. Mm-hmm. Um, now, foster care, adopting through foster care is free through the government, but it's technically not free because all adoption will cost you something. And foster care adoption, no, foster care is set up to be a safe landing place for kids while their uh, parents get their life together. It's not really set Mm -hmm. up for adoption. Uh, And so you can adopt from foster care, but there is just crazy stuff that happens Mm -hmm. in between. And um, a lot of people who have historic homes don't even qualify for foster care because there's some really, really crazy rules about like how much space is in between the railings on your stairs. And, mm-hmm. you know, do you have a special escape window from upstairs? And do you have certain locks on all your doors? Like we mm-hmm. would not qualify. And so yeah. we just felt like, okay, well, we can't adopt. We, mm-hmm. Our faith was so small. We're like, we know we're called to adopt, but we can't. So God's going to mm-hmm. have to give us a lot of money just randomly out of the sky if he wants us to do this. Mm-hmm. And with my mom's encouragement, just went ahead and and had biological children. And then I started maturing and growing as a person and realizing that maybe God gave me this cleft lip, not as a curse, not as like this horrible thing that happened to me that I have to get over. Maybe he was teaching me something. Maybe he was molding me into the best kind of mom for a child who is hurting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that's when we uh, started praying again about adoption. And I remember one of my friends, Layla Palmer, she's actually on Instagram as well. I was just following her and she had adopted mm-hmm. from Haiti. And I reached out to her and I was like, Layla, I know I'm supposed to adopt 
but the cost is insane. How, how would we do this? And, and also our house is half gutted. At this point, we had the farm. Mm-hmm. How would we pass a home study? And so international adoption, the regulations for that, the rules are almost none. Like they're, wow. it's funny, like if you adopt mm-hmm. a kid from the US, you have to have all these things perfect. But if you adopt a child from a developing country, there's almost no rules. They like care about mm-hmm. your age and if you're healthy and that's about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was like, Sarah, you would qualify to, and you would pass a home study with a half gutted house. They just want to you to show that you have room somewhere in your house for another child. You just have to show that there's room for a bed and room to hang their clothes. And that's about it. I was like, really? Mm-hmm. And then I was like, what about the cost? It's 35 to 40,000 to adopt. And she said, if God has called you to adopt then he will carry it. And, mm-hmm. and I was like, what? And she's like, Sarah, do you realize that nobody has $40,000? Nobody. Mm-hmm. They all fundraise. They all do uh, apply for grants and, and it's amazing to watch how God does it. And if God carries it all, if he pays for it all, then he gets all the glory. And that, that's kind of what he wants in our lives. Right. Mm-hmm. And so he kind of prefers if you come to the table with nothing, because yeah. then it's all on him to, to make a way. And he is the redeemer of every story, not you. Mm-hmm. So let him carry it. And that just was very, (laughs) it was like a really healthy spanking, you know, to Mm -hmm. realize, wait a minute, this is not for you to carry. He has commanded all of us to care for orphans. That's something I also want to speak to. A lot of people are like, well, that's nice. That's cute that you Mm -hmm. feel called to adoption. Uh, But I don't. And like, well, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, you are called. All of us are called to do something. James 1.27 is very clear. We should be caring for the least of these. We should be caring for widows and orphans. And those are the people um, who need help. And Christians should be on the front lines Mm -hmm. if there is a need. Um, A movie just came out called Sound of Freedom. I don't know if you've heard about it. Mm-hmm. It's been a big buzz about it online and everybody yeah. is like, oh, go watch it, save lives. And it makes me really upset because I'm seeing a lot of Christians act like they care about mm-hmm. vulnerable children. And they think that watching a movie is going to do something, is going to somehow um, help kids. Mm-hmm. Watching a movie is education for you. It does not help any kids. Kids without parents are the number one target of traffickers because Mm -hmm. they are the kind of children no one will miss. Nobody's protecting them, keeping them safe. Um, So kids in foster care or orphans are are the number one children that are Mm -hmm. targeted. So if we really care and if we are are adopted by the Lord, Mm -hmm. the Bible compares adoption and uses adoption as a picture. Um, that's what the gospel is. Mm-hmm. I was adopted. I was on death row and with a signature, a simple signature, basically. My whole life went from being on death row to being a cherished daughter with a bright future. Mm-hmm. So if we look at our own lives and we realize what Christ has done for us, 
it's really easy for us to translate and model his behavior uh, and follow mm-hmm. his example. Um, so we, <laughs> that's what we did. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's just, I don't, that's just amazing. Like I don't really have words for that is such a touching story. So how'd you come for, um, cause your, your daughters are from India, correct? Could you tell right. me how, how you, uh, choose India as your, okay, yes. Okay. <laughs> That's a really good question because yeah. a lot of people are upset that we didn't adopt from the U S and I've already mentioned, like, we didn't really qualify, yeah. but we also just didn't feel, um, like we wanted to go where the dire need is. And, yeah. um, you know, kids here in the U S foster care is a mess. Like it is a bro- broken system. My sister is a, was a social worker. So we, we've heard, we've heard how bad mm-hmm. it can get, but you get food, you get water, clean drinking water, you have clothes, you get to go to f- free schooling. And when you age out at 18, in the US it's 18. Um, yeah, you could go into drugs, you could go on the streets. But the great thing about being an American is you have the opportunity uh, to get grants to go to college and you get to decide the trajectory of your life. You can be whoever you want to be. You can have the beginning, uh, a sad beginning of your story, but you can go on to totally flipping that around. You can get married, you can get a job, you can go to school, you can be whoever you want to be. And so starting with a hard beginning of your story, I mean, that's, that is really devastating. Mm -hmm. Um, And I applaud those people that um, are doing foster care because it is, a big need here, but we wanted to go where the need was dire, you know, again, the least of these. And we originally were thinking China because we had heard about the one child policy. And so we were thinking, okay, we'll adopt a little girl from China with a cleft lip like me. That makes sense. Right. (laughs) But, uh, every country again has different qualifications and China has a really had a really random one that was, Um, You have to make a certain amount per year. And because my husband loads trucks for a living and we're living on that one income, we did not qualify to adopt from China. And I was devastated because I'm like, okay, Lord, I felt like this is what you wanted me to do. And Mm -hmm. our picture in our minds of what he wants is not always correct. So Mm -hmm. when he's shutting doors and, and these qualifications, he's using that to guide you. And so we just talked to an adoption agency and we were expressing like, we're, we know we're supposed to adopt from an Asian country. And I think I got that from, you know, my initial introduction to what an orphanage was, was this little boy who was adopted from an Asian country. And they were like, well, what about India? You would qualify very easily for India. Their requirements are really very basic. And mm-hmm. We're like, India, that's not an Asian country. Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> like, yes. it, it didn't come to my mind as an Asian country yeah. for some reason. Um, and so we looked into it and we realized that at the time it was the child trafficking capital of the world. I think it's third, third now. Um, and there's a couple things at play there. Um, they still, it's illegal to use the dowry system but it's still, it's so deeply ingrained in their culture that that still, I mean, they just, 
still do it almost every family. Mm -hmm. So if you're a little girl, your parents have to pay a dowry to your prospective husband that they've most often arranged for you. Mm -hmm. And um, so if you don't have parents, there is no dowry. So you can't get married. Okay. Um, and, and there, there's this beautiful, deep relationship with family in India. They, they really family, you don't move away from your family. When you get married, you stay together and you do life together. The grandparents and the great grandparents and mm-hmm. the parents, they all live in the same house and it can, it's really beautiful. But if you don't have a family and you don't have a a last name, like the caste system is still an issue there, mm-hmm. um, then you are treated very terribly. And so really the only option for little girls, um, if they don't have parents, is, is prostitution. And um, so there's more orphans in India than any other country in the entire world. There's uh, estimated 31 million, estimated, it's probably more. And uh, of those 31 million orphans, only about 1,400 children are quote unquote lucky enough to be placed in an orphanage. And um, only about 4,000 kids ever get a family. It's kind of taboo still in India to adopt. Um, there was a celebrity that adopted uh, maybe like seven years ago, and she really opened up people's interest to be willing to adopt. But again, if your last name, your bloodline is so important in that culture. Mm-hmm. And so it's still a big issue. And nobody's adopting the kids with special needs um, because karma, a belief in karma says that, that you, and you remember the passage in scripture where the disciples mm-hmm. ask, Jesus, why was this man born blind? Was it because mm-hmm. of a sin that his parents committed or something he did in a past life or something like that? Mm-hmm. And that is karma. That's essentially the belief in karma that we, um, how we are born and the lot we have in life, it's kind of fatalism, really. Um, that's just what we get. And we know that that's not true, that we're all created beautifully unique works of art by God and that he doesn't make mistakes. We're all worthy and valuable. And um, so there's this really big need in India for people to adopt and specifically children with some kind of disability that could be just like low birth rate, low birth weight, um, or that could be something more extreme like a heart condition. Um, There's a lot of kids, you know, with burns, Um, there's a lot of kids with missing limbs. Um, the biggest need when we got into it, we, we thought, oh, we'll adopt a little girl from India with a cleft lip, but smile train is this really great organization. That's really helping in developing countries. And at the time when we were able to be matched, there were no little girls waiting with a cleft lip, um, which is crazy to me because one in every 700 babies are born with some type of cleft. It's a Mm. very common, uh, special need, but also, you know, people view that as correctable and minor. And so those kids are getting adopted or, Mm. or those kids are just being able to stay in the original family, which that's what you want. You want kids to be able to, that was God's design for kids to stay in their original families. But when you have a culture 
that, you know, really struggles with wanting things to be a certain way, you know, to have mm-hmm. uh, the cast right and the skin color right and, and the education right. And they just are really, those things are very important in that culture. A lot of times these children get flipped under the rug and there's little girls as young as four um, working in the red light district and like Mumbai. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that's like, you know, the big prostitution hub. Um, they're mm-hmm. being sold all over the world. And this is something we need to care about. If you watch the documentary, it's a girl on Amazon. Mm-hmm. That was really impactful. Um, we also watched the documentary, the Dropbox. And that's one of the mm-hmm. things that helped my husband say, yes, we need to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of how we came to India. We saw like the big need and um, we just tried to respond to what God was kind of putting in front of us. Mm-hmm. And as we learned, we just tried to step out in obedience and faith, even though we were scared, even though we didn't know what we were oh, doing. Sure. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. So at that point, once you said, okay, India is it, like how, um, and I think you led up to that there weren't any girls with cleft lips. So then how were you paired with the girls you have now? Could you tell me a little bit about them? Yes. So when there weren't any little, just at the time of matching, you Mm -hmm. have a lot of paperwork to do in the beginning um, and a lot of fundraising. That was really neat to watch Mm -hmm. how God just every step of the way, as soon as there was a payment due, you don't pay it all at once. As soon as there was a payment due, he would yeah. provide just enough, whether yeah. that was for a fundraiser or a grant or somebody giving. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. And when we got to the part where you're matched with a child, um, sometimes your agency matches you. And sometimes mm-hmm. like right now, currently, um, you're given a code a special code and you can look at the waiting child list. And these are all the kids that have gone through the Hague. Um, Hague is a special, um, almost worldwide mm. accreditation that they make sure that these kids are truly orphans, that they're not being trafficked. Yeah. Um, and they go through this very strenuous process to make sure that these kids truly are orphans. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a big waiting list Um, And it's really sad how few children are on the waiting list. Um, Right now, there's about 1,050 kids. Mm. Um, And and so you can match yourself. Like you can look at the files of the waiting kids. Um, Or uh, when we were in the process for both of our girls that wasn't allowed, your agency matches Mm. you. And you fill out paperwork saying what needs you are okay with yes no and maybe and for blindness we marked maybe because we're like i don't have a good reason to say no to blindness but i don't know anybody who's blind i've never interacted with blind people but we're fine like okay Mm -hmm. and it's that's one of the hardest papers to do is the special needs checklist um and so we tried to just be really open uh to what God might have for our family. And when we were told there were no waiting kids with clefts, we said, okay, what is your biggest need? Who are the children that nobody is saying yes to? Just want to know. <laughs> and they were like the blind kids. And that mm-hmm. is true today. I would say almost half of the kids on the waiting child list for India 
are blind. And when I tell people that they're like, is that because a lot of people in India are blind? No, (laughs) blindness is actually, there are millions of people worldwide who are blind and there's all different Mm -hmm. types of blindness and you can lose your sight easily. Like you could trip and fall and poke your eye. You could, Mm -hmm. you could get in a car accident and your sunglasses shatter and hit your eye, you know, Mm -hmm. blindness, you don't even have to be born with it. It's very easy to damage your eyesight. So there's blind people everywhere. The problem is for some reason, people are scared of blindness and nobody is saying yes to these blind kids. So we were scared too. Mm-hmm. Um, we were like, wait, wait, what? Um, let us pray about it, you know, cause you spiritualize everything. Oh, we got to pray about it. Well, really what we were saying and what a lot of Christians are saying when they say that phrase mm-hmm. is we're scared. Uh, no, wait, 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 slow down. Yeah. And I just got on Instagram and YouTube and I was like, okay, I just need to see what does it look like to live with a child who's blind? Can I do this? Yeah. And, and that was again a lack of faith because it's not me doing it. It's the Lord. Mm -hmm. He doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. I love that quote too. Yeah. Uh, But it was just helpful for my weak flesh to see Mm -hmm. uh, what families look like. And I just was like, wow, this is very beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we said yes to blindness. They immediately within 45 minutes of saying yes, they matched us with a child because that Mm -hmm. There are people who wait years to be matched with a child. Yeah. And that is because they are limiting God's greatness. Mm-hmm. They are saying, oh, 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 I, I've got to fit, pick a child who fits my life. And that is not why mm-hmm. you adopt. Adoption is right. supposed to be child centric. What mm-hmm. can we give a child? Not what can a child give us? Yeah. And so we were matched immediately with both of our girls. As soon as we got approval, we were wow. matched within minutes. Um, and we got to see their cute little faces and you have 30 days to look at their file. They have a weird medical file that's been Mm -hmm. made. Um, they have pictures and videos, and then you have 30 days to say yes or no. And if you say no, um, which other people had said no to our girls before, Mm -hmm. um, then you can get matched again. And they just keep doing that till you pick a child. And it's really wow. sad yeah. that, that it's like a shopping thing. Um, but that's how it's set up um, with mm-hmm. India, especially. And yeah. I think a lot of countries do it that way. And uh, so we just tried not to make it that. We're not going to wait for the healthiest child. We're going to wait for the kid that needs us and let mm-hmm. God handle it. And like Ellie's right. file said she had hepatitis. And that was more scary than blindness because that's a contagious blood disorder. And we just chose to say yes. When she got home, turns out she didn't have that. So it was, it's been a very powerful life-changing experience. These girls are so precious as you can probably tell. You can tell. Yeah. It's not been easy. I wouldn't say it was a walk in the park or magical fairy tale, but yeah, we're not on this earth to live this comfortable fairy tale life. Um, and so a lot of people are like, well, you have this beautiful life. Why? I actually had a close family member say to me, do not adopt. You are going to ruin your perfect family. Oh my goodness. And yeah. I'm like, well, first of all, 
I do love creating a beautiful home and living, you know, my desired lifestyle, but that is so empty. I can't take this beautiful house with me when I die. I can't take any of this. So it, it's, it doesn't have eternal value. The only thing Mm -hmm. you can take with you is human souls. And so that's what we should be investing in is people and people. There's people all over the world, little people who have no voice, nobody's protecting them. And so, yeah, it's hard. It adoption is hard. And there's a lot of, I don't know what you want to know more about, but it's, it's worth it. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, um, well, I highly recommend everyone go check out your Instagram because you cover a lot of this. You share a lot of the girls' successes and some challenges and things that how it's working for you guys. And it's just really beautiful to see them grow and um, thrive, uh, you know, with, with a family. Um, do you think that people have trouble with the blindness because it's so hard to relate to? Like, I mean, I sit here and think like, I don't even know how, you know, like it would be to be blind. So is that you think? Yeah. What, yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure because um, once I just watched families with blind kids, which is why I share um, yeah. to kind of do pay it forward, basically. Um, it's I, I, I honestly sometimes forget my kids are blind because they mm-hmm. they're just they're they just adapt kids. in other ways. Yeah, they're kids first, and blindness mm-hmm. is just something unique about them. It doesn't really define them. They're yeah. they're thriving, like you said. And so once you can just kind of get past that, um, like my girls have a special, unique kind of blindness. There's only like one in 100,000, maybe more. The statistics are crazy. My girls do not have eyes. So they were born without eye tissue. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like when they were in their mother's womb, it just, their eyes did not develop. And that could have been genetic or it could have been some, you know, lack of nutrition. There's a lot of um, nutritional deficiencies in India. About 40% of all children in India are malnourished. And so there's a huge issue with nutrition that could have uh, contributed Mm -hmm. to that. We don't know, but um, people are... uh, a lot of reactions we get is, ew, gross. They don't have eyes, you know, and they're choosing to see not the person they're choosing to see, um, something that they're born without. And I'm like, so one of the things I say to kids when they react like that is like, well, yes, some people are born without hands. Some people are born without legs and Mm -hmm. some people are born without eyes. And that's, okay, they, they still can do everything mm-hmm. you can do. It's just a little harder for them. And they have to learn different ways to do it. Yeah. Um, I think people are scared because of the, the fear of the unknown. That's mm-hmm. the biggest fear. I think that humans deal with the fear of the unknown and, and people told me, Oh, you're going to have to change your house. You can't have a pretty house with blind kids. They're going to break everything. You're going to wow. need a, one person told me I needed a ramp. And I'm like, it's not a wheelchair. <laughs> no, no, right. no, that's a different disability. Um, people are like, are you going to have to learn sign language? I'm like, no, that's deafness. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's just this very sad lack of understanding. And it's just like, all you have to do, close your eyes, close your eyes 
And that's what it's like. Mm-hmm. Are you less of a person? Are you, do you, do you have less joy? Do you have less value? Do you have no ability to communicate or love or be loved mm-hmm. or, or express anything? No, you just have right. no sight. Um, and so I love sharing just how precious they are and hopefully taking that stigma away a little bit. I don't want to say that their life is super easy. It It is difficult when you can't see, yeah. but it's not everything. Mm-hmm. So if someone is interested in looking into this or taking that first step, where would you direct them to? Okay. Thank you for asking that. <laughs> um, I think the first step is talking to other adoptive parents um, and getting your your facts straight from people who have done it. Because uh, mm-hmm. you can get online and Google and all this stuff and you can get a lot of incorrect information. Um, and then if you're talking to other adoptive families and you learn about their experience, you can ask them, well, what adoption agency did you use? And did you, mm-hmm. how did you feel about your experience? Um, and then I would say the next step is to talk to an adoption agency. It needs to be Hague accredited. And that, okay. that keeps you safe and keeps your kids safe. So you know that these children are in fact orphans. They're not being trafficked. And that there's oversight over that agency to make sure that they are not going to take your money and run basically mm-hmm. Hague accreditation is so important and it's accountability on all ends and then from there your agency will help you um, see what countries you are qualified for and you can help uh, they can help you they'll, they'll basically hold your hand every step of the way they give you training a lot of times I'll have adopt an adult adoptees Mm -hmm. Uh, reach out to me and they just felt like their parents were not prepared in any way to deal with their heartache Mm -hmm. of losing their original family and that's called the primal wound and it kind of never goes away imagine if you were rejected by your original family you know Mm -hmm. um but nowadays adoption agencies recognize that and they give the parents training and so Mm -hmm. there's so many more resources and help in every area of adoption, you really don't, it's not scary or hard. Yeah. Your agency will help you every step of the way. They'll even tell you what grants you can apply for. They'll give you fundraising ideas. They're very patient with payments. They help you through every step. Mm-hmm. And then when we got to the country, they helped us find um, guides and translators and our translator slash guide from Ellie Pearl's adoption is now a dear family friend. Mm -hmm. um that we consider our brother in India and we just love him so much um so it was it's been a really overall great really great experience um it's you need community though you can't Mm -hmm. do it on your own so that's where I would point awesome thank you um oh well thank you so much for joining me um this was just a really fun and beautiful conversation. And I mean, I learned a lot also. So um, where can my audience find you? Um, so I'm pretty active on Instagram, uh, Briarton Farm mm-hmm. on Instagram. And um, I do have a blog, but it's been kind of hard to keep up with as a mama. 
of four <laughs> girls now. Yeah. But I do try to, and then we are also on Patreon. My husband ha, has started about a year ago. He started a Patreon, Briarton Farm Patreon. And um, we do monthly live chats or, or I'll be um, painting as a children's okay. book illustrator. I'm constantly painting somebody's book and I'll paint okay. live on there. Oh, so nice. that's been kind of fun. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, cool. Thank you for joining me for this episode. To help others find and enjoy this podcast, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a comment and five-star review. You can also find me over on the blog at Winging It on the Homestead or on Facebook and Instagram. You can also grab the Ultimate Vegetable Guidebook over at www.savemyveggies.com.